CEO of the Houston Texans, has passed away at age 81. He is no longer with us, the man who brought professional football back to Houston. And we will be with you for the next couple of hours talking about the life and the contribution of Bob McNair, who has done so much for so many. And I could say I don't know where to start, but guys, even though we are here in this football stadium and the Houston Texans are such a part of our lives and everybody who's listening tonight, what jumps out to me is that Bob McNair was a giver. And you think about over $500 million in charitable donations through the Houston Texans Foundation, the Robert and Janice McNair Foundation, just Bob McNair being able to give back to people, give to people and contribute to their lives. That really jumps out to me as as the man passes away today and you think about how many lives he affected. And that's not even getting into Texans fans and people who enjoy this football franchise, but everybody around the Houston area and beyond what a passing. What a life lived by Bob McNair, and it's so sad. I mean, I, I, I know we're going to talk about it a lot tonight. We're going to have guests on talking about Mr. McNair, but uh, it, it is so sad because he made so many people so happy. I think that's what's going to resonate with me, Mark, just how much he and his wife Janice um, and Cal and everybody in the McNair family you're right. They they gave so much. I mean, you just yeah. Obviously, you know, my side of life is always football, and I think about being in a town in Houston that didn't have it. He he gave that to Houston. He they they fought to get the franchise. They brought football back to Houston, and there are a lot of people out there that are like me that needed to have it in their lives here. But they they impacted so many else. I remember when I did my first game over at HBU. And I was calling the game with Tom Franklin, and as I walked up, I saw I saw this placard, and it was to Janice and Bob McNair. And I was just like, wow. I had no idea that they were so instrumental in helping the HBU football program. And it's like you just look around and go, oh, man, they gave to that organization? Oh, yeah. They gave to that school? They gave to those people? I mean, we just saw on ESPN, what was it, uh, probably two or three weeks ago, when there was a hate crime killing at a church in South Carolina, Bob Mayer paid for all, paid for every funeral, paid yeah. for every funeral. And you think he, he? I don't think he met those people ever in his life, and yet here he is paying for their for, paying for their funerals. I mean, the number of people that were 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 touched by him that were recipients of a gift from him in some way, shape, or form. I mean, it's pretty immense. Yeah. John, to echo what you said, I mean, and to, to echo what you've said, Mark, half a billion, with a B, half a billion dollars of his own money he's spread around, not just here, but in South Carolina, like he's talking about, at his alma mater, I mean, mm-hmm. the countless scholarships that yeah. uh, that, he's, that he's given. You brought up HBU. That's one other example. Just one, yeah. You brought up the football team. I've been to my wife's cousin's performances in the, the Robert and Janice McNair Hall. I mean, he's given to their art school. Yeah. You, you can't underscore how much he's given to cancer survivors, can't, folks battling cancer right now in Houston at the the Hope Lodge. I've been to a, I went to yes. a groundbreaking. I covered a groundbreaking mm-hmm. that he did. Look at the Houston Texans YMCA, which was the first YMCA of its type named after a football team. That was his idea. I mean that that was Bob and Janice McNair getting behind that a half a billion dollars. That's just the good guy stuff that he did off the field. But then think about the big hole in people's hearts, in their minds, in their lives on Sundays in the late 90s and the first two 
years of this decade, 2001, 2000, before that, there was no football. He was an Oilers fan. Yeah. You know, he loved the Oilers. He was actually friends with Bud Adams and right. leaned on Bud Adams and went to Oilers games and leaned on Bud Adams and when he got this, this team here. And so he made a lot of people's Sundays better, but he made a lot of lives better, like we were talking about as well. Uh, very sad day for the Texans organization well, in the city. You, you think about it and the theater right outside the Galleria that he helped fund. Sure. And they're doing It's a Wonderful Life right now mm-hmm. or getting ready to for the holidays. And I'm thinking about... That whole dynamic. If Bob McNair doesn't come along, and and just the te- let's just talk about the Texans now. I don't know what happens here to what is now known as NRG Park, and obviously the dome yeah. is still here. And I'm not sure what happens with the rodeo and how they handle it. But you're not having professional football. You're not having two Super Bowls in a 13 year span. Think about the impact of those sure. games. Yeah. You're not having Final Fours because you don't have an athletic stadium, so you're not having that. I mean, just those things. I mean, we're, we're just we're kind of listing things here. Uh, without listing this, and I, I was trying to gather my thoughts about this whole thing, and I thought, you know, what are the Texans to so many? Yes, the Texans have not won a championship yet, and it saddens me so much to know that Bob will not be here for that. Yeah. He will not be able to see that, uh, see them win a Super Bowl. Um, that, and, it dis- that- and I guarantee you it disappointed him more. That they weren't in the Super Bowl. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what he was after. He, he wanted, wanted to win. Yeah. He he was a winner. He wanted to win. I mean, and here's how much of a winner he is. In the '90s, and I want to get John McClain on tonight mm-hmm. to talk about this. But in the '90s, when he's trying to get football to Houston, there is no way that Houston is going to get a football team because LA wants it, yep. and Los Angeles is Los Angeles, and they don't have a team. It's the '90s. The Rams had just left. The Raiders had left recently enough. L.A. needs a football team. You know, we lived without football in L.A. for long enough where it seems like seemed like sort of like, well, all right, L.A. doesn't have a team, and I guess the, the league is doing just fine, thank you. But at the time, L.A. was going to get the team. But Bob said, no, I want Houston to have the team. And he kept going back to the table, and he kept writing bigger checks or promising to write bigger checks, <laughs> and finally had to write the biggest check ever, $700 million, to bring professional football to Houston. And not just that. It's not just the money. It's the ability to bring people together. It's the ability to bring the rodeo together with him and, and come up with a great stadium plan. The the city of Houston, so many different people involved, but Bob's passion, Bob's drive to make sure that that happens. And in late 1999, well, fairly late, September 1999, Houston gets the bid for the 32nd franchise, and it's still the youngest franchise in the NFL, of course, as the Texans are set to begin play in 2002. I, I just think that's such a phenomenal contribution to our city. Because you think about what football means. Even you know, even when they lose and people want to complain about it, you know, you have something to complain about. You have professional football <laughs> sure. to complain about. Yeah, you know, sure. it's, it's a way of life. It's a passion. It's something that you're so plugged into on a daily basis. We do radio shows 52 weeks a year about this football team because people are passionate about it. We have jobs and, because of that passion. Yeah. Well, yeah, personally, we have jobs because of that passion, yeah. and so many people here do. And that's another thing. I mean, that's one thing we can sort of provide for you as per- perspective from here in the building, the the sadness on the faces of everybody in this building. And, and it's just it's so gut-wrenching to see because – you know what he meant. And and I've always said this. You know, People have asked me in recent years, you know, is Bob around? He hasn't been around as much in recent years. Um, but there's not a day that goes by that I don't think of him. You don't feel his presence in the hallway. 
you feel the positive energy of Bob McNair in the hallways. You really do. And, and, and there's no doubt that he's had an effect on everybody in here. And I know that you're going to hear so much in the coming days, throughout the night, throughout the coming days. Monday Night Football, oh my gosh, what a celebration that's going to be of his life when the Titans come to town. I mean, it is, it's going to be monumental. But here we are. We just got the news. So we're keeping you company tonight as we talk about the life of Bob McNair. Well, over the last few weeks, you know, it's interesting, Mark, you, you bring up, you know, bringing the franchise here. And I wasn't here when that was all going on. But obviously, I was still plugged in because I'm from Houston. But over, well, we're getting ready for Dallas in week five. When we were getting ready for Dallas in week five, the guys, you know, our video guys, Jay and Suds, they they said, "Hey, will you will you come on and will you narrate the fifty three about the inaugural game?" Right. And I said, "I said sure." I said, "Absolutely." I said, "I'd, I'd feel absolutely honored." And they were like, "Okay, but we we want you to watch it. We want you to watch it and get kind of a feel for it." And uh, and I was like, "Okay." And I was I was doing okay, kind of watching, like, "Oh man, this is, this is really good." And then at some point, the video goes to Bob, yeah. and it was like. I don't know. For some for some reason, it sort of hit me at that moment, like whoa, because I thought about what he started. I mean, you think about bringing an NFL franchise to a particular city, and what all goes into that, and what all he had to do. And there's a point in there where Jamie made that comment that that you did. He said, he said we paid the most for an NFL franchise. We were going to make sure that we did it right. Yeah, and even if they had paid the few, the lowest amount of money, yeah. they still would have tried to make it right for the city of Houston. But when I when I narrated that, all I had in my mind, all I could think about in my mind was seeing Bob and what he was talking about. And in that video, the fifty three, there's I just I sense there's such joy for him, like retelling that story of that yeah. first game and what that was all about. And so. I was so honored to be just be a part of that to kind of help tell the story. But seeing Bob in that video was um, it was it was heartwarming. But at the same time, we also knew that he had not been doing great, and so you just thought, man, what if we can get this thing turned around? What if we can win a championship? And he's here to see it. And unfortunately, that won't happen. And I think that's probably the the one thing that you know he definitely wanted to see. But you know, the thing about it was he wouldn't have wanted to see it for him. He wanted to see it for everybody here in the city that's what he brought football back for he wanted to see it for everybody he wanted everybody in the team to to experience it he wanted everybody in his family to experience it he wanted everybody else other than himself to experience it yeah he wanted to have it but he wanted it for everybody else too yeah we shot that video that you're talking about that interview back in the springtime at his house here in houston that was a that was a fun day because everything you're talking about is true he's he was excited about Deshaun Watson and the prospects mm. for this franchise with him at quarterback. He was very joyful talking about that game because think about it. You're not supposed to win your first game in franchise history. The Cowboys were, I mean, and I don't want to gloss over and, and tell retell the story, but he had a lot okay. of fun little anecdotes about that night mm-hmm. and about the, the run-up to that night. And it was, you could tell it was something he really enjoyed talking about. And he liked that that was such a great moment, not just for him, but for the city. But you, you could tell he was getting ready and, and excited about what the next great moment was going to be. And he was he had his eyes on, on winning a Super Bowl title. And he thought, you know, now with number four under center, 
the future was pretty bright. And it was fun to see and be around him talking about it. That way, what was what went down in the past and what might come here in the future. I'll give you another dose. And I, I've got a few other stories throughout the night here. But another dose of his optimism was getting a second Super Bowl. Sure. Because once Jerry World was built and they got a Super Bowl, now before they actually staged it because they had some issues staging it, I thought, man, there's just no way we're going to get another one, right? Because they have this this the Death Stars, they called it at the time, in Dallas, and there's no way that Houston's going to get another Super Bowl. But Bob, <laughs> you know, Bob was always on record saying, no, 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 we're, we're going to fight for another Super Bowl. And I know Rick Campo and uh, you know a lot of people contribute to that cause on the Super Bowl committee of going to get it. But, you know, we're here again because of Bob McNair getting the Houston Texans, and that's why you have a shot to get a Super Bowl in this city. And he really wanted another one. And when they got the bid, you know, we were there in Boston when they got the bid. That was just phenomenal. That was amazing to see that that Houston would get the Super Bowl the second time in the existence of the Houston Texans. Again, two Super Bowls, 13 years apart. Just amazing. So uh, that, that was a wonderful thing to see and another example of his optimism because he would not be denied, just like he would not be denied getting the franchise here in the first place. That was a monumental thing that came to Houston and, and an example of his optimism. There were other examples of his optimism that, you know, one that I'm going to look back and always smile about. Let's rewind about three off seasons ago. Texans have come off the bitter loss in the first round of the playoffs to the Chiefs. So it's that off season. Oh, yeah. And what do you need? You need a quarterback. So the Texans go after what they think is a franchise quarterback yeah. in Brock Osweiler. And I remember the news comes out, and it's reported by most in the media, that the Texans have signed Brock Osweiler. Texans have not announced that yet because the, the T's weren't crossed, the I's weren't dotted. Right. So I'm walking down the hall, and I have to walk past his office. Well, he and his son Cal come in the door, and they're walking past me, and I've got a big smile on my face because, hey, I think the Texans have got a great new quarterback. It's going to be fun. And he sees that smile, stops, and winks, and just says, you like that action? <laughs> <laughs> he was excited too. You know, yeah. He thought he had a quarterback. It didn't work out, uh, yeah, yeah. but it but it wound up but leading to Deshaun. Well, yeah, but he was excited too. He wanted a winner, and that was just that's just one little small example of you know one of the interactions that I had with him. it was it was it was interesting being around him on a, on a day to day basis and seeing that stuff. And he always invariably would be in the office in golf shoes. So it looked like he just played 18 was about to play 18. So. Well, I mean, you gotta, you got to do what you got to do. All right, so Bob McNair, no longer with us, passes away at the age of 81. A phenomenal life, a phenomenal man. And let's talk about this some more. I know a lot of questions are out there, and I'm getting them already. What happens with the football team? And, look, mm-hmm. this just happened. But we'll talk about some of that stuff. I've got some good information on things he did related to what you said, Drew, sure. to help this franchise along throughout its its existence and other ways that we remember Bob McNair tonight, who is no longer with us, age 81. Bob McNair passes away with his family by his side this afternoon. It's Texans Radio. We are in the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio here at NRG Stadium. Mark Vandermeer, John Harrison, Drew Doherty with you live as we talk about the life of Bob McNair, who passed away today at the age of 81 in front of his family, peacefully. And some things from the release here 
uh, that we have on the website, HoustonTexans.com. McNair was a leading businessman, sportsman, and philanthropist in Houston who returned pro football to the city in 2002. His idea to bring the NFL back to Houston was approved officially on October 5, 1999, after a 29 to nothing vote by the league's owners to award him the 32nd NFL franchise. His influence and leadership also brought two Super Bowls to the stadium. As we discussed earlier, McNair was actively involved in a league in a lot of league affairs, including serving as chairman of the finance committee and a member of the audit, compensation, and chairman's committees. And throughout his life, McNair and his charitable foundations generously gave more than $500 million to a wide array of scientific, scientific literary, educational, and faith-based organizations. He chaired the Robert and Janice McNair Foundation, the Houston Texans Foundation, and the Robert and Janice McNair Educational Foundation for more than 25 years, and his philanthropic leadership, humanitarian efforts, and impact on the community were recognized far and wide with numerous awards and honors. Now, as you know, we have TV shows throughout the weekend regarding the Houston Texans, and we've got a big game coming up on Monday night. Now, we'll have a special Remembering Bob McNair show tomorrow in place of Texans Extra Points and Texans Buzz. That'll be on ABC 13 at 6.30 tomorrow and also at 11. And uh, we'll, we'll do the best we can in a short amount of time with those. And obviously we want to do, and we will do a whole lot more. HoustonTexans.com has some information and videos on the life of Bob McNair. And we're live here now discussing it with you. So, gentlemen, we continue. And I wanted to go here because clearly... Not just the drive to bring pro football back to Houston, but Drew, you mentioned some of the things about just the determination to win and wanting to win and, and not always working out. I mean, some, there have sure. been some struggles in franchise history on the field, no doubt about it. You know, I go back to this, the 2010 season, which was very difficult. It was a six and 10 campaign and, you know, clearly Bob McNair decided, hey, Let's get some help. Let's get some defensive help. And he and Gary Kubiak found a way to get Wade Phillips in here as defensive coordinator. Really changed the fortune of the franchise. It really did. In 2011, Wade comes in. They draft J.J. Watt. They sign Daniel Manning and Jonathan Joseph. And Connor Barwin comes back to health. And it all kind of came together there in 2011 defensively on that side of the ball. And it was fun because Mark brings up 2010. And at the very end of that season... There were a few practices inside the Houston Texans uh, Methodist Training Center where you saw Bum Phillips in there with his wife. And a few weeks later, you find out Wade's the defensive coordinator. And it all, like we said, came together, and and Wade kind of sped them on their way. And J.J. Watt has talked about it many times. Jonathan Joseph has talked about it many times. Getting to play for these two guys in Wade Phillips and Romeo Cornell, defensive coordinator-wise, it's been great for their careers and, and so many other defensive players on this team, too. Yep. Yep, it, no it, doubt. it meant a lot. By the way, we're going to have Charlie Casserly on in about 15 minutes to talk about the birth of the franchise. Oh, we have. It's, I think we have John McClain on the line as well, Sean. Is that correct? All right, John McClain joins us now. John, thank you very much for being on with us. Your reaction to the passing of Bob McNair. Well, we knew Bob had been ill. You know, he'd been battling skin cancer for five years. I remember the story I did with him in 2014 when he talked about his 10-month ordeal of multiple surgeries, radiation, chemo, plastic surgery, skin graft. 
and then he thought he beat it, and uh, and he'd been in and out of the hospital. And and I'll say this: I met Bob in 1997. I tweeted this earlier, and I've written a really long tribute to him that I sent in that'll be posted in the Chronicle tomorrow. Stories about him and my personal remembrances. And the thing that always struck me the most from the time I met him, when nobody else in Houston tried to bring back the team, he spent his own money. Um, he was. He was so sure he was going to get the franchise. I've never known anybody more optimistic. Now, he didn't like Democrats. You know, he's a conservative Republican. It didn't matter if it was Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, Obama. It didn't matter. Bob was a Republican, and his views reflected that. He was one of the largest Republican contributors. And I've never seen anybody give away more money. I know some, I'm sure, have given away billions, but I calculated before the last Super Bowl for a story I did for the Super Bowl program, he'd given away more than $300 million. Now I understand it's up more than $500 million. And I, I, he, he always said, I'm a homer for Houston. He'd been here since 1960. He didn't, he didn't, he was not born with a silver spoon. He was born with no spoon. And, uh, he had financial problems early on and, and he made his money the good old fashioned way, put his money to bring it in the franchise here, money into the stadium, money into everything. And as you guys said earlier, the sad part is he always wanted to see the Texans uh, win a Super Bowl for the city. And, uh, they weren't able to do that while he was alive. And, and I've just never known a better man than Bob McNair. I never caught him in a lie. Not one time. Uh, had a lot of conversations with him through the decades off the record. I never heard him say anything bad about anybody. And he was as honest as you could be. He was a caring, a very caring man. He had a warm head, warm smile, firm handshake. He laughed easily. He just, he was a good man. And, uh, and I, Houston has lost one of its biggest benefactors. They've lost the guy that brought the NFL back to Houston. As you guys mentioned earlier, there have been no Super Bowls here the last two without Bob. And I remember one thing in particular. When we were in Boston for the, the announcement of the Super Bowl, which turned out to be the last one we had, afterward, all the owners said, well, we, you got a great stadium, you got a great city, but we voted for this Super Bowl because of Bob McNair. And that's how respected he was about the NFL. The tributes are going to pour in from Roger Goodell and owners across the league. And, um, and I know he'd be very proud of that. As someone who goes to every NFL meeting and has for 35 years, I would see how Bob would interact with the other owners in the league. And, and, uh, it was pretty phenomenal. And I've got a lot of really cool stories about Bob that I know that I was there for that'll be in this tribute that I did in the Chronicle tomorrow, and I would appreciate if people checked him out. Well, you sort of stole my thunder, John, because I was going to read you a tweet that Kim Pagula, owner, uh, Kim and Terry Pagula, two owners of the Bills, she said, we were sad to learn of the passing of Bob McNair. We'll never forget how gracious he was to us as we transitioned into ownership of the Bills. On behalf of the Bills, we we extend our deepest condolences to the McNair family, Houston Texans, and their fans, and just reading that tweet, it made me thinking. Made me think that the owners felt a certain way about Bob, and you sort of encapsulated that. But is that the feeling throughout the NFL about Bob that there will be obviously some sadness amongst most, if not all, of the owners that were in conjunction and, and connected with him over the last few years? Well, I think every owner that ever met McNair liked him. 
He gracious is a great word. You know, he was not a forceful personality. He listened before he reacted. He he was uh he could be opinionated but not publicly. But he was very careful about what he would about what he said because he would think things out. And I remember him telling me he'd been an Oilers season ticket holder after all those years, how much he wanted to get a franchise here, knew it was never possible. Then when the Oilers and Bud Adams started negotiating to move, he got his hopes up. He'd already been approved financially by the league. league tried to get him to buy the Dolphins. He said no because Wayne Izinga was still going to own the stadium. They tried to get him involved in St. Louis. Carolina, Jacksonville. He told me the only one besides Houston he might have an interest at that time would have been Washington because he spent so much time there on business. But it, it worked out exactly the way he wanted, and he did so many great things for Houston. And and I'll say this: uh, he he made sure that his organization was diverse. They had women, they had African-Americans, they had Hispanics. It was very important to him. And you guys are over there every day, much more behind the scenes. I'm certainly not behind the scenes, but I'm there a lot. And I thought that was a tribute to him because that's what he insisted from the get-go. And he also didn't want bad apples. And he told me one time, he said, the guys that have multiple baggage, coming into the league when they when you win everything's great but when you lose they're the first one to point fingers and become cancers we don't you i think you can win with good people and i think that they have and right now with a seven game winning streak they're doing it with good people and uh we'll see how the players uh handle bob's death as they approach the monday night game against the Titans, and I'm, I'm glad Bob's going to get a lot of tributes on national television Monday night, and I think that's terrific. The Chronicle's John McClain with us, talking about the passing of Bob McNair. And, John, you just brought up a lot of great points about who he was as a person. You brought up his graciousness. You brought up his philanthropy. You brought up his optimism. But you, I know, have a, at least one or two or a million Great stories about just how competitive this guy was. You don't get to be such a successful businessman without having a competitive streak in there, don't you? Well, he he was yes, he was competitive in business. You know, he 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 knew what. At some point, Bob got out. Or he was in the telecommunications business before he got big. He told me one time. He said, "Well, I wish I'd have stayed in that." And uh, he was. He, in Cogent Technologies, which supplied most of the electricity to the Northeast, you know, he sold that for a billion to Enron, and I think it was $387 million in stock. And I asked him one time when Enron started to have trouble, I said, I said, did you lose it? He said, I pay, he said, I pay good people a lot of money to help me make good decisions, and we sold that a long time ago. And uh, he made a lot of good decisions, and he wanted to give the money away. He didn't like people knowing about that either. One of the things I tell in my tribute is when I met him, I said, well, these things you do privately are going to start to get out because you're an NFL owner. And he said, well, I don't want it to look like I'm blowing my horn. And I said, well, you're in the wrong business. And when 9-11 happened and he immediately made a donation up there, I found out and I called him for a comment. And he said, do you have to write that? He said, I, I said, Bob, he said, I know I shouldn't have bought an NFL franchise. And uh, he was always trying to give away money in multiple states, but mainly right here in Houston with all the things he did in our city. And uh, he's going to be missed by a whole lot of people, not just locally but nationally. 
and because he was a very beloved figure for a lot of people, especially those who knew him. And uh, that's why I feel so bad for Janice and Cal. And people wonder about Cal. Cal's been his right-hand man for years. Cal's basically been running the franchise. Cal is, I've talked to Cal many times through the years about his dad and uh, what a great owner his dad was, how he spent money, how he treated people, how he handled the media. And I know Cal was watching and learning, and it'll be a smooth transition. Great point, John. With Cal McNair as the COO and chairman, Bob had become senior chairman, and you have Jamie Roots as president, Brian Gain as general manager, Bill O'Brien as head coach. Uh, the team is in very good hands right now. John, how much of a long shot was Houston to get the 32nd franchise when McNair started the campaign? I wrote a column, and I said, bet the house, NFL will not come to Houston, it's going to L.A. <laughs> and I was certain of that because the NFL gave L.A. that exclusive negotiating period, and Bob was so confident. He had people out there studying every time they brought up the possibility of where a stadium was. He had people studying the environment, the land, and uh, he kept up, and he said, I'm telling you, we're going to get it. And I just never believed it because the NFL didn't want to come here. And and right up until the end, he was confident in the bid, the stadium, the political leaders, the business leaders. Bob McNair got everybody on board like nobody else could. And that's one reason we got that franchise. And when it was awarded in Atlanta and they were, this city was celebrating, I was just, I just like gave a sigh of relief because I just thought, you know what? Uh, the league is Paul Tagliabue sent Roger Goodell, his right-hand man, out to hang out in L.A. and make sure that this deal came off. And then when Goodell quietly moved back to New York, Bob told me, no, I didn't know it. And he said, you know what that means? I said, what? He said, that means that uh, they've given up on L.A. And I think we're going to get that franchise. And I said, well, I sure hope you're right. Well, John, you didn't Can have to. I can tell you one more story. Can I tell you yep. one more story? Yep, do it. Uh, when Bob, when Bob uh, got the franchise and they weren't playing, he would come to the league meetings and he would come into the media room and people are like, who's that? And I said, that's the new owner of the Texans. And uh, and they're like, what's he doing in here? Owners don't come in here. And Bob come in, he'd sit down and guys would go over to him like, you know, some pet. Can we pet him? And they start talking to him, and he would engage them, and they were just amazed at how friendly he was. And then one time he said the meeting was in Palm Beach, and he said, "Do you think do you think any media people would like to go out on my boat for dinner, like a dinner cruise?" And I said, "Yeah, how big's your boat?" Well, of course I called it a yacht. And he said he had room for 48. He got him. He took him out. Everybody had a blast. And when the last one left, I was about to leave. And he goes, you know, I don't know why those owners don't like y'all. That was a lot of fun. I said, well, you didn't play a game yet. And the league <laughs> told him, that, I don't, the league told him, we don't think the owners are going to like you doing this. And he said, you know what? I'm not doing it for the owners. And so that's the kind of guy he was. He was just a very giving person, a very friendly person who didn't know a stranger. John, thank you so much for the time, and thank, thank you, you for remembering Bob McNair. We look forward to your stuff. Condolences to Janice and Cal and Carrie and the rest of the family. All right. Thank you very much, John McLean from the Houston Chronicle. And, indeed, we continue to remember the life of Bob McNair. Charlie Casserly, the general manager of the expansion, Houston Texans, when they started play in 2002. He will join us next 
to talk more about the birth of this franchise and working for Robert McNair. It's Texans Radio. It's Texans Radio. It's Texans Radio. Welcome back. Mark Vandermeer, John Harrison, Drew Doherty with you. Bob McNair, no longer with us, passes away today at age 80 with his family by his side. And we are joined now by the very first general manager in the history of the franchise, Charlie Casserly, who worked closely with Bob McNair to launch the Houston Texans. Charlie, it's great to have you with us. I know we'd like to visit under different circumstances, but how are you doing, sir? Well, kind of like all of us, uh, very sad this evening. Uh, the city of Houston lost uh, uh, one of the greatest uh, citizens they ever had. Charlie, tell me what it was like when you first met Mr. McNair and those early days and talking about launching the Houston Texans and your first impressions. Well, we had a lot of conversations uh, before we ever met uh, about uh, uh, the viability of the franchise, the uh, vision he had, and uh, we both seemed to uh, be on the same page right from day one that we wanted to build it right run a first class organization uh, be community involved uh, be state involved and he had a lot of pride in the city of Houston uh, he was an original season ticket holder of the Houston Oilers back in 1960 uh, so he was a great football fan had great passion for it uh, we had uh, a mutual interest in, in the development of youth football uh, high school football and he shared a passion just as I did for that. And, and, and I know when I was there, that was a big commitment on his part. So um, he wanted to do things right. He uh, let you run the team. Uh, he was there every day uh, because he cared about the team. Not to interfere, but he cared. Uh, he would uh, uh, back you uh, on your decisions. Uh, he uh, never wavered in that. And I, I think the greatest example of that came in the Mario Williams decision. Uh, when he asked Gary Kubiak and I what are, what we wanted to do, we told him Mario Williams, and he never, ever hesitated. Now, he knew what the thinking was, and, you know, obviously I took a lot of heat. He took a lot of heat, too, on that one, but he backed us 100%. Uh, and Charlie, that's, that's what it is. It was. Charlie, this, this is Drew Dory. What did that mean to you, you know, that that trust, that commitment? Because he, you're not the only person that he showed that with throughout his life, throughout his career. Well, number one, I never doubted it. I, I expected him to, to say what he said there in that situation because so we worked together, and I, and I knew how he operated. Uh, but but you know, when you have that kind of backing, uh, it makes life a lot simpler for you uh, because you're going to have to make some tough decisions, and and you can't uh, uh, have people you know wavering or second guessing after the fact. Uh, first guessing that's part of the job. I mean, you you you, you have to rationalize what you do. Uh, but I think it's important that uh, you have uh, the backing of the people that you work for uh, when you go out there to do your job uh, and that they trust what you're going to do, and, and I think that's important. It makes you able to work uh, much more smoothly and much more efficiently. Charlie, we've been sharing stories throughout the night, just our stories about Bobby Nair and other people. John McClain we just talked to. Is there a story that stands out to you that maybe gives our listeners the – the, the true understanding of Bob McNair through your eyes, through something that happened with you. Do you have a story kind of to share with, with all of us about Bob McNair? Well, other than, of course, the Mario Williams one, I'll give you the, uh, the second one here, is uh, uh, first day on the job. 
and uh, we we sit down and uh, they show me the plans for the uh, 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 football facility. Uh, and I had to explain to him. Now you have to understand, he just paid uh, what was it, six hundred million for the team, and uh, and he had they had a budget for the practice facility and the locker rooms, et cetera, in the stadium. And I says, well, the first thing I got to tell you is they gave you the wrong. It was modeled after Carolina Stadium, see. Uh, and I says, well, the first thing I got to tell you is they gave you the wrong plans for the Carolina Stadium. This is the original plans, but this is not what they built. Oh, okay. Well, let's go through this. And uh, uh, the original plans that were laid out were, uh, uh, you all know where the stadium was. And uh, if you think of where Main Street is, uh, the practice facility was, the practice field was going to be on Main Street. So, and I said, well, how are the players going to get to, um, uh, from the stadium uh, over to Main Street? And he says, well, they're just going to walk. I said, they're going to cross Kirby. Okay, walk all the way down there. He says, yeah, and this is, you know, the people that were involved. And I said, well, that's not going to happen. He said, that's not the way we're, we need to do this thing. Uh, as we, as we <laughs> quickly went forward, I said, uh, you know, I've researched this and talked to a lot of different people, and they're convinced you need an indoor facility to practice with because of the weather here. And uh, uh, so uh, Bob says, well, if you think that's what we have to do, we have to do it. Now, nobody had ever done that in the state of Texas before. That was like a heresy in Texas to build an indoor f- uh, facility. And uh, Bob didn't bat an eye. So uh, he says, tell me what you need. And I outlined what we did, which was the finest indoor facility in the country at that point for football. Um, and he did it. And everything we outlined that we had to do was not in any of the plans. Um, where the first pra- if you think about where the practice field is now, the one closest to uh, Kirby, that was a parking lot, which he tore up uh, to build a practice field there, so it would be right near the stadium. Uh, we built three fields. That wasn't in the plans. We built an indoor field. That wasn't in the plans. We expanded uh, the, the square footage uh, by something like 50,000 square feet uh, inside the stadium for the football facility because that was what we felt was needed. Um, and as we all know, when you build the best, people will copy it and will move past you. But, um, you know, the facility was the best at times. Uh, I told them, I said, where are we going to practice when we start? Well, that hadn't been thought of. I said, okay. I went around. There was no place to practice. There was no locker rooms. I said, well, let's go to the Astrodome, and uh, we'll refurbish the Astrodome, which we did for the locker rooms, at least so we had something that was presentable on our first day when we brought, brought our team in. So the point was he wanted to do everything to win. Um, now, he wasn't going to be wasteful, but, he, but you know, if you could rationalize it, and he was first class, uh, things were done. So I, I think the big one was I'm one day on a job, and I just tore up all their plans. <laughs> so, and he says, okay. <laughs> so... That's a good one. Charlie Casserly joining us, original general manager of the Houston Texans on the day that Bob McNair passes away. Charlie, opening night of team history, all the buildup, all the planning, you just described some of it. What was it like? What was it like to be around him that night? Jerry Jones on the other sideline, and the Texans beat the Cowboys 19-10. to Well, uh, of course, you know, we went in as a big underdog, and uh, no expansion team had won their opener in 41 years. Um, and we had actually practiced against the Cowboys. We had scrimmaged against them. They beat us in a scrimmage seven to nothing. Uh, but was interesting though, their seven came against our backups. Okay. And, uh, so, you know, we, we knew we were a big underdog 
and really had no idea what to expect going out there. And I know uh, the Cowboys were supremely overconfident uh, going into the game. And, you know, we're, we're hanging in. Obviously, we scored first, and, and the place erupted. Uh, and we're hanging in the game. We're hanging in the game. And uh, I then Jerry Jones came down the sideline in the third quarter. And uh, there was a point in the game, and I don't remember. You, you might remember a point where we got a safety. And there was yep. a point I turned to him. I said, I said, we can win this thing now because uh, we were in earshot. And uh, I know he was just uh, uh, beyond overjoyed after the win. And I know we came in the next day, and it's all he could talk about. Uh, one of the biggest events in the city of Houston. It meant a lot to the city of Houston, and it meant a lot to him. Uh, and, and especially to beat Dallas, as we all know, that's a big rival for the city of Houston. So uh, he was ecstatic, uh, but he was his usual um, reserved, classful self about it. I mean, he wasn't doing any dances in the locker room, okay? <laughs> so, but, but he was, he went around, he congratulated everybody, shook their hands, uh, and then he turned, uh, you know, I said to him, I said, you know, um, what would be nice is if we gave a game ball to everybody in the organization. I said, this is a big event. He says, absolutely. Next thing I know, everybody got a portrait, a picture of the stadium on that night, uh, in there, and it was handed to him. So, uh, you know, those, those were the kinds of things that he did. He, he, he appreciated the hard work. He appreciated the wins. He understood the losses. He understood the process. Uh, and, uh, he, he, he was a great, uh, person to work for. Got Charlie Casserly joining us now talking about the passing of Bob McNair and some of his very classy acts through the years. Charlie, can you talk and, and kind of explain and illuminate what sort of a competitor he was. We talked about it with John McClain just a few moments ago, but what did you see competition-wise from Bob McNair in his life? Well, he was a competitor. As you remember, uh, he was in horse racing, and uh, he, you know, he was very proud of that uh, and and what he did there, of the success he had. Uh, you know, he wanted to win. There was no question about that. He hated to lose. Um, he did it gracefully, but uh, the, the the competitive factor was there. There was no question that he wanted to win. Uh, he just didn't, uh, wear it on his sleeve publicly. Uh, but we saw it privately. But he was, you know, always class, cla- had class and was first class about it. So, uh, when he win, he was, he happy, he did it with class. When he lost, he did it with class. But, you know, he held everybody accountable, which is what you expect. That, that's fine. That's, you know, we don't, everybody doesn't mind that part of it. Um, he didn't do anything negative in public, which I thought was good. Charlie, one more for you here. Yeah. Where the franchise is today, because obviously they have not won the Super Bowl yet. That's something he very much wanted, and he will not get to see that. But, you know, maybe he will from beyond. It's just the point of the franchise in existence today. Cal McNair will take over, we presume, of course. And you have Brian Gain as general manager, Jamie Roots, the president, Bill O'Brien, the head coach. Texans are 7-3. and three. What do you think of the state of the Houston Texans right now on the day that Bob McNair passes away? Well, there's two things that jump out to you. you got one of the best coaches in the National Football League, Bill O'Brien, and you have one of the best young quarterbacks in the league, Deshaun Watson. So uh, you, you you got those two things. Uh, you ought to be very happy. And, and that, not, not to say the best defensive player, uh, and better than Aaron Donald, okay? Let's get that straight, even though Donald's damn good. Okay? <laughs> so I like why he plays more positions, plays the run better. I'm giving you a scouting report anyway. Um, and you got J.J. Watt, who's a, a premier player and premier leader. And obviously, 
you know, Brian Gain and Cal uh, and Jamie, you know, they're, they're all very confident in what they do. Uh, but in reality, if you, you, got, you better have the coach and you better have the quarterback if you expect to get to the promised land. And, and I think they've got – both of those guys can do that. And it's a shame because the year that uh, they lost Andre and they lost Mario uh, and they lost uh, uh, Schaub, that team could have done it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was 2011, and it was a rough year with those injuries. Charlie, we really enjoy your work on the NFL Network, and we really appreciate you coming on tonight to talk about Bob McNair. Thank you so much for being with us. No, glad to be with you, Mark. It's always a pleasure. All right, Charlie Casually, original general manager of the Houston Texans. Bob McNair passes away, 80 years old, with his family today, peacefully. Cal McNair, chairman and COO, ready to go. Brian Gain, Bill O'Brien, Jamie Roots, organization in great hands. But, wow, what a day as we remember the passing of Bob or the life of Bob McNair on the day he passes Tributes are coming in from everywhere through social media. The immediacy of social media, just fantastic, as we will share with you some tributes coming in for Bob McNair, including presidential tributes. J.J. Watt weighs in. You can imagine who is commenting on the passing of Bob McNair, and we'll continue with our tribute here on Texans Radio next. Here on Texans Radio next. Here on Texans Radio. We are here in the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio live. Mark Vandermeer, John Harrison, Drew Doherty with you on the day that Bob McNair passes as Mr. McNair brought the NFL back to Houston, gave away over a half billion dollars to charitable causes. That we know of. That we know of. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's the stuff that you might not know about because as John McLean eloquently pointed out, he didn't want a lot of it out there. You know, some of it fine, others no, and... I think you said it best, Drew, that you go around to this city and all of a sudden, oh, look, there's a plaque because they donated this thing. And it was, you know, they just put up a plaque for something at a university or a school or how about the Houston Zoo? You ever see the Elephant Center there? That's He's very proud of that. I mean, that's, uh, you know, and people might not know about that, but uh, they've done so much. The McNair family and God bless Janice and the McNair family as we remember Bob McNair on this evening. 6,800 tweets and counting so far on the life of Bob McNair. And we're going to get to some of these because these are great tributes coming in from all over. And from the Texans players, DJ Reader weighs in. J.J. Watt says, rest in peace, Mr. McNair. Thank you for giving myself and so many others an opportunity here in Houston. My thoughts are with Janice Cal and the entire McNair family. One note on that, and Sean Pendergast from Sports Radio 610, of course, tweeted something about... Hey, a lot of us have jobs in sports talk radio because Bob McNair brought the NFL sure. back to Houston. I raise my hand, and John Harris raises his hand. I mean, I'm I don't one think, of those. You know, you look at Sports Radio six ten, which for a long time was the only sports talk station in Houston, and the colors of the station, and and being the flagship from the get go, and and the association, the partnership that this radio station has with the Houston Texans, so powerful, and it obviously caused this whole wave of sports talk in the city and i think it's true i mean without the nfl what do you really have you know i mean you god bless the rockets and the astros of course but this is the national football league we're talking about and mr mcnair made sure that houston would have a franchise and what an impact it has on so many people we're just getting personal with it in terms of sports media but brian t smith 
Mr. McNair brought the NFL back to Houston. That says it all. Well, think about columnists and everybody else involved. Yeah, you know, you talk about getting personal with it. Hey, when I walk into work every day, Mm -hmm. I look to my left and I see the Astrodome. And if you had told the seven-year-old self or my seven-year-old self or my 10-year-old self or my 15-year-old self, someday you're going to walk in and work for the pro football team in this town, and you're going to see that site every single day. And you're going to do that. My little mm-hmm. self probably would have exploded or yeah. imploded or wh- whichever it is. <laughs> I mean, I, I wouldn't have a job if it weren't for, ultimately, his actions in the late 90s, getting the Texans here. I got a fantastic job. I love this job. And it's uh, it's due in large part to, to him. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm the same. I mean, Sean echoed those thoughts. I mean, Sean and I obviously started radio back in 2007 together with a station that was not affiliated with the Texans at all. But mm-hmm. there was seemingly at the time just – this growing need because the Texans had come here right. because sports talk radio, you know, we can, we can talk what we want about the Astros and the Rockets. Sports talk radio is not baseball and basketball are not going to carry sports talk radio. They're not, no, not, not, not on a daily, not, basis. not on a daily basis, but football will yeah. because of the way that football has grown. Uh, and, and to Drew's point about, you know, growing up here in the city of Houston, something that both of us were able to do, I used to think about that, too, about being part of an NFL organization. Well, what about being part of the Oilers? Well, by the time I was graduating from college, that dream was about up because the Oilers, there was talk of the Oilers moving at that point. And it's like, well, you know, there, there goes that team. Yep. You know, and then I, I ended up in Jacksonville. And I kind of latched on to the Jaguars at that point because I was in Jacksonville and my team had just sure. left Houston. And I'm thinking, I'm, the, I'm you know, my, team, my city's never going to get another team. And so I was actually in between Jacksonville and North Carolina when when Bob you know paid the money to bring the team here and it was surreal to see a different team to see a different logo to see the bullhead and go wait this team is in my town well this is kind of strange and then when I ended up in Houston and I could come to the games and I could see it up close it was like wow this this is something this is great this is great for our city and great for our town and I'll never forget meeting him for the first time because you guys, I mean, Mark, you've been here from the beginning. Drew, you've been here since 2009. So, unfortunately for me, I, I ended up not meeting him until 2014 when he started having some of the some of the health issues. But I remember I went out to I went out to OTAs, and I just happened to be out at OTAs, and I had been going to OTAs, you know, every single day with you guys. And I was not full time in the building yet, but I was going out to OTAs, and at some point, Mr. McNair said to Coop at the time, who was running OP, he said. Who's that? And so <laughs> that strange man. Yeah, who is that? Because he was kind of putting faces with names, and he's like, "Who's that?" So at some point, I walk by, and Coop's like, "John, come here." And so I walk over, and now I'm almost shaking, like I'm about to meet an owner of an NFL team for the first time. I mean, and I was just, I was so nervous. And Mrs. McNair actually extended her hand and couldn't have been nicer. And I mean, just the way that they kind of took me in, I, I, I felt comfortable immediately, and it was just. It was just that feeling of, hey, you're now, you're now in the family. And I was like, it was really cool. It was really cool feeling to know that they were, that they were on my side. And I'll never forget, we were playing a game and I can't remember who it was, but we were playing a game. And in the fourth quarter, Mr. McNair used to always come down to the sideline. He used to always come down to the sideline and be on the north side of the, north side of the field. No matter what was going on, he'd be on the north side of the field. And we scored, we scored. I can't remember. It may have been the Tennessee game last year, but we scored, and I, you know me, I just get excited, and so I'm yeah. just kind of patting guys on the back, and all of a sudden I get to him, and I'm about to do it, and I realize <laughs> it's him, 
and I, I kind of pulled up right before I was about to like, pat him on the back, like, yeah, and then I went, wait, this is Mr. McNair, I can't do that. i got to act like I know what I'm doing down here. And so I didn't do it, but I was like, he probably, had I done that, and just kind of pat him on the back, he, he probably would have fist bumped me. He would have been just fine with he it. He would have been just fine he with it. He had a great sense of humor that I don't think everybody knew about. And back in 2011, mm-hmm. 2012, Sean Cody had On the Nose, right. the, the video segment. And they got about seven or eight of those going in 11. And I can't remember who came up with the idea, but it was, let's get Mr. McNair on the show. Yep. And he agreed. He said, sure. What do you want to do? And so basically everything we asked of him, he basically said, sure. Uh, hey, Mr. McNair, can we tape up your dress shoes and your Argyle socks like you're getting your ankles taped? No problem. <laughs> Hey, Mr. McNair, do you mind putting on these eye black strips? No problem. Hey, Mr. McNair, do you mind doing chest bumps with Cody and jumping up in the air? No problem. Can we go into the locker room, have you unbutton just a few buttons on your shirt, and make it look like you're putting a dress shirt on after the game, and we put Connor Barwin in like as a body double, and Connor was pumping his pecs and flexing and stuff. No yeah. problem. Let's yeah, do it. He was his shirtless body <laughs> double, Connor Barwin. He was in Well, one man's going to say no to that, really. Yeah. He, he's smart. Well, you know, a lot of guys <laughs> I who are know. in his he, position he, are, would have thought that's beneath them. They can't, but he was, he was all for it. He saw such a sense of humor, the fun, like you and, say. And yeah, he, he really, he had a good time with it. And not everybody saw that side of him, but he did have a pretty darn good sense of humor. Well, what about the one in the stadium, the Toro skit? Love Toro. Where a lot of people saw that where uh, he's talking to Toro about a, a dance idea he has, mm-hmm. and then the next thing you know, you're just seeing his feet, and this is a bo- another yeah. body double, his feet dancing on the desk, and Toro's like, what am I doing here in Mr. <laughs> McNair's office while he's dancing on the desk? But all you see is the legs dancing. And it was a body double. It was so well done, and he was all over it. He had a great sense of humor. Uh, and, you know, he just he knew what this was all about. Yep. This is about fun. This is about entertainment. It's about winning, but he knows that it consumes people. It just it, It's such a part of our lives every single day. You know, I met him in 2002. I'm here for the expansion draft. That's my first official Texans duty. And he introduced me to the crowd at the expansion draft. And it was so nice because he said, here's our number one draft pick, our announcer. You know, I thought, wow, that's pretty flattering right there. You know, Baselli's really the number one pick in the expansion draft. Not that there's an order that's necessary here, but he was really, really nice to say that. And uh, and it was such an honor to be introduced by, like like you said, John, it's the first time I met an NFL mm-hmm. owner. Yeah. Um, you know, I met Don Shula in Miami. I'd actually met Robert Kraft a few years before. That's besides the point. But I was just... I was kind of in awe because Mr. McNair, I knew, you know, I wasn't following it from Houston. I was living in another market, but I knew that Houston, when Houston got the franchise, I thought, what? What happened? How yeah. did that happen? What an upset, you know? But that's that speaks to his competitiveness. Yeah. As Drew has been pointing out and asking John McClain about and Charlie Casually about how competitive he was to get the NFL's 32nd franchise here to Houston. Well, and you told a great story earlier today to me, and you can kind of it kind of lends some more credence mm-hmm. to this. Just th- tell the positivity story. All right, story, so, excuse me. So Bob McNair, and, and this is this is the most positive person I've ever met, and I could easily say that he's so positive. Look, you, Charlie said he was a total optimist. Bob, uh, John McClain said that as well. Sure. That you know Bob was convinced he was going to get professional football here, and we just talked about what a long shot that was. 
Um, and I've asked him because I, I'm big in it. My favorite book is The Power of Positive Thinking by Norman Vincent Peale. And I've mentioned that to Mr. McNair. He and I had a lot of conversations about my dad. My dad is 85, about to turn 86. And, you know, he'd ask me some questions about my dad from time to time. Like, what's he doing? You know, because he knew that he was doing really well um, as he was advancing in years. And, and we'd talk about different things. Anyway, Bob, uh, he's so positive. I said, Mr. McNair, how and why are you so positive? Like, tell me about that. And he said, well, I don't know too many people who are successful and negative. Do you? And I'm thinking, oh, jeez. He's very matter of fact. I mean, the, the, like, I, mean, I just thought, oh, man, like, he's so right, you know. <laughs> like, you can be negative, but you can't really – you have to be optimistic and positive about your chances, and fight through the storms and stand on the bow and, you know, like all the things that he's done in his life. As John McClain pointed out, he wasn't born with a silver spoon. He wasn't born with any spoon. He comes from very humble beginnings in North Carolina. And he he talked about many times throughout his life how many disappointments business-wise, how many times he went broke, but he still came through and And came. Isn't that true with a lot of really successful people? Uh, and here's here's another one uh, that that he says that actually we have it emblazoned on the wall of one of our conference rooms now, which is you can't go wrong doing what's right. You know, he used to say that. I'm thinking, uh, I mean, it's a drop the mic one. It's really you know, yeah. like how can you argue with that? But it's so succinct too. I mean, for for the three of us who spend our lives on TV and radio, we're I mean, especially radio, we're not supposed to be succinct. We have. Two hours or four hours to fill. We've got to stretch everything out, and yet he could say everything in one sentence and went, "Wait, yep. oh wow," and move on. Very much so. Mm-hmm. And it was funny when I got in the building. I remember we went to my first, I went to my first business ops meeting, and and when I think about NFL franchise, you know me, I'm thinking, no, 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 this is about winning championships. Like you win rings, that's what it's all about. And I remember one of our tenants was do great things for Houston, and I never. I remember my first year, I was kind of like, yeah, no, 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 no. Doing great things for Houston means you win championships. And really, the more I was around the building, the more I realized where that came from and what that, what that meant. And that came from him doing things for his city, for his people. Um, and that, you know, that was, that was something that always resonated with me. He was doing it for my people because I'm from this city. This yeah. is my city. And so I always felt like that was speaking for me and for everybody. All right, two nuggets from our conversation with Charlie Casserly I want to get into because uh, one of them I knew probably, but it sort of speaks to me a little bit right now, especially on, on this very, very special day, very tough day. And we'll get into that. More memories, a tribute from a president. Mm-hmm. For Bob McNair and a whole lot more as we continue to remember the founder of the Houston Texans here on Texans Radio. Houston Texans here on Texans Radio. Houston Texans here. Tributes pouring in from all over for Bob McNair who passed away today with his family by his side peacefully as he founded the Houston Texans, brought professional football back to Houston, gave away over a half billion dollars to charitable causes, and we continue to remember him this evening. Mark Vandermeer, John Harris, and Drew Doherty with you tonight from the Hyundai Texans radio studio. As we got the news today, late in the day, and knew that we had to go live to talk about the life of a great, great man. Survived by his wife, Janice, his lovely wife, Janice. And Cal McNair, of course, along with the other McNair kids, children, if you will. Uh, just uh, an outstanding family and they've meant so much to the city of Houston. And I just think about 
what they're going through right now. Such a tremendous loss, such a tremendous life. A few things I wanted to mention. We had Charlie Casually on, the original general manager of the Houston Texans. And one thing he said that kind of stuck with me was the youth football emphasis. That, you know, we we live it today and we work here in the building. So we see, you know, Brett Stewart and his gang and, like, they do so much. And And I know it's been going on for a long time, but... This was not just like the last 10 years or even the last 15 years. This was Bob McNair saying to Charlie Casually, day one, Jamie Roots in the conversation, I'm sure, saying, we need to be huge proponents of youth football, playing the right way, support it, promote it, make sure kids love it, make sure it's being done the right way, flag football, whatever kind of football, let's get it in the community even more than it is. Obviously, it's it's part of the fabric here, but the Texans really wanted to nurture that. Yeah, you know, we brought up a couple times now in the last hour or so the $500 million that we know of that he's given of his own money, mm-hmm. but that doesn't really take into account what the Texans have done as well, which yeah. he made that a point of emphasis. That was important yeah. to him. There's a whole division of in the business ops side of things. You just mentioned it with Brett Stewart doing that. And think of all the money they funneled in over the years. I mean, every single spring, there's a clinic here for coaches to teach them how, youth coaches, teach them how to coach kids to tackle correctly, all that stuff, hydration, concussion awareness. They've really upped the ante as far as making the game at those lower levels very much safer than it than it had been. So, yeah, you bring that up. It's not a new thing. It's not just because of all the news that's been going around it's about CTE. It started well before 2002 with Bob McNair. You know, the Houston Texans YMCA, and I might fumble this story a bit, so I apologize in advance, but this YMCA has historical significance in the city of Houston. So many civil rights meetings took place there long time ago, obviously, very important for our city, and that why needed a hand. That that why was not doing well, and it was so important for that part of the city to have a facility like that uh, for kids, for adults too. I mean, it's a YMCA. It's for all. And the Texans stepping in, and it's the first YMCA ever, YMCA ever named after a professional franchise. It's a heck of a YMCA. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Y guy. And I think it's a, an amazing building. And you look at how that whole area has really uh, has really turned around, if you will. I, I think it's a tremendous contribution. And that's just one of many dozens, thousands, whatever, uh, you know, of examples of things that he's done uh, or through him in this community. Well, here's one from somebody that doesn't live in our community. Okay. In fact, he covers the NFL, but he lives up, up in Dallas. His name's Ed Werder. Okay. Well, I heard of Ed. He used to be with ESPN. Sure. He tweeted this earlier today, and for those that don't know Ed Werder's story, his son, Trey, um, son, yes, yeah, son. Son-in-law. Son-in-law, son right, because yeah. his, his daughter, I think, had some medical issues as well, but right. Trey was his son-in-law. Who he was very close with. Yeah, he said, I will never forget once when Trey came out of a visit to MD Anderson during his cancer battle that I received an unexpected call from Mr. McNair offering to help us with anything he could. Condolences to his wife and family. And you just, like, it's Ed Werder. You know, he's an NFL reporter. Yeah. And, you know, they're in Houston because, obviously, the the medical centers here, MD Anderson, et cetera, and he just happens to see Ed Werder and, and calls him, hey, everything okay? Can I help you with anything? Can I help Trey? Can I help the family with anything? I mean, he didn't owe Ed Werder anything. He didn't owe him anything at all. 
and yet he made a he made a call to generosity. And I just, I we've seen things like that all you know since it was announced uh, at a, almost right at the time we went on the air about six o'clock, and we've seen those types of stories and those sort of tributes. We read one. So we were talking to John McClain from Kim Pagula, who's uh, one of the owners of the of the Buffalo Bills, and what the Bills, um, what she encountered as being a new owner in the NFL and how Bob was very helpful to her. It's just it's kind of amazing to, to step back and just realize that he had not only the city of Houston in mind when it was to help somebody, it was everybody he ran in concert with. It's just pretty amazing to think about. Yeah, you know who, who he ran in concert with throughout his life? President George H.W. Bush. Right. That's the most famous of all Texans fans. Mm-hmm. And he was a regular up in the suite. You saw him flipping the coin at least once a year. One year, I think 09, 10. Did it with his son, President George W. Bush. Well, George H.W. Bush, President, Mr. President, uh, he released a statement today. Bob McNair wasn't just the brightest point of light in Houston. He was one of the kindest and most generous people anywhere. Nobody cared or helped people more. And that's just one of the reasons I will always be proud. Bob was my good friend. He was simply, and he puts this in, in capital letters, the best. My most sincere condolences and family love go to Janice and her wonderful family. Pretty strong words from a guy who led the free world for four years. Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt. I, one, of my, one of my favorite statements came from Jacksonville Jaguars owner Shad Khan. Bob McNair returned the NFL to a quintessential football city. My memories will be of Bob's love for Houston, the league, and the game. But personally, I'll never forget how helpful he was to me when I was exploring the notion of becoming an NFL owner myself. Bob McNair was a good man, lost too soon, and my heart goes out to his family, friends, and everyone in Houston. How about uh, the greatest Texan of all time, Andre Johnson? He just recently tweeted something out. There's a nice picture of him and Mr. McNair on Instagram. Looks like they're in Denver in that uh, preseason practice facility with the Broncos, but it said, can't thank you enough for giving a kid from Miami a chance to live out his dream of playing in the NFL. My deepest condolences goes out to the McNair family. Rest in peace, Houston Texans. So Dre's sad tonight, and a lot of other people are around the city. I think that there's sadness, and there's also acknowledgement of everything that he's done. Mm -hmm. And just to reiterate some of the things we talked about in the first hour, if you're just joining us here, and by the way, before I get into that, Tillman Fertitta, sad day for Houston. I was a partner with Bob from the beginning with the Houston Texans. Yes, he was. It's such a disappointment. This is life. We will always remember that Bob was a leader in this city and brought the Texans to Houston. We're losing one of the icons of this generation. He's got a wonderful family, and hearts are filled, or our hearts are with all of them. Uh, bringing the NFL to Houston, you think about it, the stadium, the Super Bowls that go along with it, hosting Super Bowls here in our city, the economic impact is gargantuan yep. of hosting Super Bowls in our city. The exposure that the city gets, the buzz, and the Final Fours aren't coming here either if there's no stadium. So think about that. So you're saying they're not going to be in the Astrodome? Yeah, I don't know. No. <laughs> no, no, I know. I joke. I, I, I wonder what would happen. You know, this is. I mentioned it's a wonderful life earlier. Like, what? What if there's no Bob McNair and the NFL doesn't come back to Houston? What happens to the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo? I, you know, that's an yeah. excellent organization. I think they find a way to obviously exist and thrive. 
But maybe they have to sort but of does refurbish it thri- the dome. But does it and, thrive like this? No. I mean, it, this is a great what, venue for it. Whatever they would do to the dome to actually continue it there would not be enough to have Final Fours. Let's just let's just be right out there with it, in my humble opinion anyway. So this stadium, this team, this organization, all of that, gargantuan economic impact. But the impact goes well beyond economics. It's about the fabric of life. It's about having the NFL in your city. All the joy. All the angst, all the emotions associated with having a professional football team, all the complaints, all the fun, everything. It's it's the experience. It's the day-to-day of it. It's bread and circus. It's a wonderful thing for your city to have the NFL, and he brought it back here. And I I don't want to say this because, because I am from Houston Drew's from Houston. Mark, you got here as fast as you could. But there's something about the owner in this town having, and I knew he grew up in in South Carolina, but he spent the majority, if not all, of his adult life here in the city of Houston. So I always look at him as a Houstonian. I think the fact that he was a Houstonian who brought football back to this city. And I remember when I moved here in 1983, the one thing that I couldn't, I could never shake. I mean, I was going through my teenage years, and I could never shake. I was like, "Man, people are so proud to be from Houston." Like, mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't get it. Like, I didn't understand. Like, why? Like, there are other places in this world, y'all. Like, yeah, so many other places in this world. Like, what is it about this this city? But yet, Bob McNair was seemingly the person who embodied all of it yep. because he he gave this so many which is what I feel like this city has done. I mean, I think about Hurricane Katrina and how the city gave for those for those people. That's what this city is all about. And, I mean, Bob McNair seems to embody everything that's great about this city. And in due time, I realized, heck, yeah, I'm proud to be from Houston. Mm-hmm. And, heck, yeah, the fact that you know our owner, Bob McNair, is from the city. He understands the city. And I wanted so badly for this city, this team, my team, my town, to win – for that man who brought football back here to our town. And I mean that that always that always kind of you know each of the year, you know, when we start the year, I remember every first game of the year I'd walk out going, this is the year. This is the year that he that that he gets to hold the trophy and this is this is that year. And unfortunately that year is is not going to happen, but maybe Cal's going to bring, you know, hold that trophy one day over his head. And and I think that'll be a great day. Yeah, and if you're just joining us earlier in the program, we were talking about an interview that McNair did at his house back in the springtime, and I got to go along and ask some of those questions. And he was very optimistic about what the future held for the Texans. He liked Deshaun Watson a whole lot. Well, and he knew that, that bright days were ahead, and he, he, he said as much. I mean, he, he said that this guy is uh, the best quarterback he thinks this, this franchise is going to have. Well, I always, you know, people often ask me in my travels, especially out of market, mm-hmm. you know, about this team and about this organization and i always start with him you know because when i was making the decision and this is getting personal here to to come here to pursue this opportunity people told me and i had a lot of people i talked to get advice from they said in professional sports it's all about your owner and if you have an owner that wants to win that has integrity that's good to work for you're gonna have a great experience in professional sports and let's be honest in professional sports there are a lot of owners that just aren't so hot and he had such 
adoration from others. And, and I, I picked up on that very quickly, even though this team had not played a game. So I was really honored to be, you know, part of the, the launch of the franchise on the air. And I quickly discovered, you know, over the year, well, quickly, over the years, I discovered that, hey, not all, not everything always goes swimmingly on the yeah. field in pro football. And we know that for this team. Some bad luck, some tough times, whatever, inside the lines, right? But a couple of things about him. He's always big on what can you control, you know? What are the things you can control? And the fan experience here. And when you look at that and led by President Jamie Roots and everything they do for the season ticket members and tailgating because the Oilers didn't have it, we're going to have tailgating here. We're going to make it phenomenal. We're going to make game day as great as it could possibly be. So no matter what happens on the field, hopefully, you know, obviously winning is the most important thing. But what if you don't win? Because you're not going to win every game. You're not going to go 16-0. and How do you have a great fan experience, create memorable experiences for people? Well, He's always put everybody to the task of making sure that you can do everything in your power, despite whatever's happening on the field, to have a great fan experience. And I think this franchise has done that. There is no way, you know, people say, "Ah, oh, it's football in Houston, sell out every game, no problem. There is no way you sell out every game unless Bob McNair is running this organization because he knows what it's about taking care of the customer. You, you haven't won every game, so how have they done it? They've done it because they've done the best job they possibly can at all the stuff I just mentioned, and it's very important to be able to do that. Yeah, yeah like you ever the, see the Astrodome back in the mid to, mid to early nineties? Through seven playoff appearances, had trouble selling out. I mean, we used that we, we used to uh, live in a time where we couldn't see games unless Randall's came because in because they on were blacked out Friday yeah. night or Thursday afternoon. Yeah, and and somebody would buy out 5, like yeah, there, there were lots 20, of thousand tickets or whatever. There it were was. playoff you could teams see it. that had their games. These were Oiler playoff teams. They weren't playoff games that got blacked out, but during playoff seasons, games got blacked out mm-hmm. because you didn't sell out. And you bring up the creating a great fan experience. I mean, that's the, the three prongs of this organization. The goal, ultimately, win mm-hmm. Super Bowl titles. Also, do great things for the city, but also create you know memorable experiences for yes. fans. And you bring up Jamie Roots, the president. I mean, he's an animal about that. I mean, he is constantly consumed by making that happen, and, and mm-hmm. you you've got a big your biggest competitor is the television in a guy's home because it's it's very easy to just sit at home and mm-hmm. watch a game. It's free. You don't have a line for the bathroom. You get free all that stuff, and and the Texans strive to make that a better experience. All right, next up, Bob McNair and football. Drew brought up some of the things where he gets involved. And look, Charlie Casually mentioned it. He'll let you run the team, but Bob does have input mm-hmm. on certain things. And how the Texans have gone big for things under Bob McNair. Again, not everything has worked out right away, but he's been able to redirect, to reemphasize, and here you are today with a seven and three team. On the day he passes, the Texans are getting ready for a huge Monday night game in first place in the division with a lot of great possibilities in front of them. As we remember and continue to remember the founder of the Houston Texans, Bob McNair, tonight on Texans Radio 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 here we are in the hyundai texans radio studio remembering bob mcnair and it is just so strange to say that i've been with the franchise since 2002 i mentioned meeting him at the expansion draft and it's just so stunning to think that the texans will be without bob mcnair of course cal has been here you see cal all the time 
Cal's the chairman, and it's great to have that continuity there with Cal and Brian Gain, Jamie Roots, of course, the president of the Texans. And I said it earlier, even when Bob's not here, you feel his presence in the hallway. You just do. You just do. And I think it's going to go on for a long, long time. I, I just think that this franchise and, you know, John McClain mentioned getting players of character, high character, you know, as much as you can control that, as much as you know guys and can know guys, think about it. The amount of players that have been through here and the fact they have so many great, great citizens of Houston that you've brought in to be members of this franchise, I absolutely love that that is so important to them. And it will continue to be so important to this franchise. You bring that up. It's interesting because over the years, we have heard from countless people, mm-hmm. talk to countless people in this town. Well, do they have to go out and get a bunch of choir boys? Do they have to go out and get guys that, you know, that, that's the term I hear a lot of times is yeah. get a bunch of choir boys. I look at that locker room now and the guys that are in that locker room now and the guys that have been in that locker room. But the ones I, I I look at now and I'm like, this is what this is a Bob McNair locker room. Mm-hmm. There are guys in there like Tyron Matthew they bring in. Tyron signs a one year deal, spends Thanksgiving giving out what five hundred turkeys to families in the you know the city of Houston. I mean he's not alone, but it's it's what the kind of he is, it's the kind the of locker room that Bob McNair you know loved, and I mean I think yeah. it speaks to the fact that and, and I remember when. You know, when when Bill was up for the job, and having known Bill for a long time, I'll never forget when he got the job. I just told people, I said, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Mm-hmm. Because I just, you know, you guys have seen Bill. I mean, Bill's emotionally, wears it on his sleeve. That was kind of unlike the two other coaches that that Bob had, had hired here. But what I realized about, what I realized about Bob was that Bill understood that very thing. That Bill believed in a strong locker room. That Bill believed in people, and he wanted good people around his organization. And obviously, Brian Gain the same way. And I feel like those two guys are carrying that spirit in general manager and head coach going forward. And I think it's it's made for an incredible locker room. It will continue to make for an incredible locker room. But it's channeling the best in Bob, and that was. And I think about I think about something I heard from Bill Belichick. Belichick once said. I just want to coach the people now in my career. I want to coach the people I like coaching. Mm-hmm. I just want the people that I'm around. I want to. I want those to be good people. And I can imagine when Bill, when Bob started his franchise, that's what he thought about. He wanted good people around him that he wanted to be around. You bring up all that, but he would swing and sometimes miss. But he would swing for the fences. You know, he. Yeah. Let's go back to uh, and we can go back before this, but let's go back to 2011. Texans are trying to court, and they they were courting. Namdi Asamoah, he was the best cornerback in the mm-hmm. game, and he was going to be one of the linchpins of a of a defense that would get turned around. I mean, it, in two thousand ten, you had hired Wade Phillips. You had hired Wade Phillips you, because in two thousand ten, you'd had the worst NFL pass defense. Yeah, not so in the good. NFL since the NFL and the, the offense AFL looked merged. good. And he figured, look, the offense is good here. Yeah, let's get a good defense. So how how do we do that? You hire the top available guy in the market, and this is a theme with him. Yeah. Who's the top guy out there? Wade Phillips, let's go get him. Yep. Let's just let's hire Wade Phillips. He got fired by Dallas. He's a tremendous defensive coordinator. Everywhere he goes, and this was true then as it is now, everywhere he goes in his first year at the very least, they go to the playoffs. So let's get Wade Phillips. Guess what happened? They went to the playoffs for yeah. the first time ever. And you're going after Namdi Asimov. You don't get him. 
Instead, you get Jonathan Joseph and Danielle Manning, the latter of whom, Manning, lasted longer in the NFL than Asamoah did. Yeah. The former, Jonathan Joseph, is still with the <laughs> still team. Still here. He's oh my the God. best free agent signing in team history, and he's been he's been awesome for you, and he's yeah. been a leader for you. He was one of the reasons you were able to turn that defense around and put together what Casserly said was a team that could have challenged for a Super Bowl title in 2011 had Matt Schaub not gotten hurt. I think about... And you heard Charlie talk about the Mario Williams decision. Because how easy would it have, A, how easy would it have been to just go with the Texas boy and the Houston homeboy and Vince Young? Mm-hmm. I mean, how yeah. easy would that have been? And then beyond that, hey, look, we decided, we, we, decided, we decided we wouldn't go with David Carr. Can't put Reggie Bush. Yeah. I mean, it was an offense that needed something. And yet, Charlie and Gary go to him and say, no, we think it's this guy. We yep. think it's this guy, Mario Williams, and Bob just said, "Okay, I'm going yeah. with it." I mean, to me, that that's as big a that's as big a risk as anything that you go with a defensive end from NC State, mm-hmm. and yet he backed it and went with it. And yet, of those players who had the longest and most fruitful career, Mario Williams, no doubt about it. And when you look at Reggie Bush, there was also they were thinking about maybe the scandal back at USC. Would that be a big circus here with the media and everything? And I think. You know, New Orleans, as it turned out, was a better spot for him to start his career, uh, and Houston would have been a very tough go. But you're right. It, it, it was unpopular, but it was the right thing. And we bring up the hiring of Wade Phillips. How many people wanted Gary Kubiak fired after 2010? And when I say people, oh. I mean media, outsiders, whatever. Well, it Bob's, was reported that he was fired. I mean, there were people that said, he's gone. He's gone. It's official, but, he's but gone. But Bob's like, no, 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 no. We're going to keep yeah. him and bring in Wade Phillips, and they go to the playoffs for two straight years, which they had never done before. That was unpopular, but it worked out. Now, when you talk about going all in, yeah, they went all in on Brock. You know, they sure. definitely did. Yeah. He was the what? Here's the theme: top guy on the market. He was the top free agent quarterback on the market, no question about it. Let's go get him. They got him. You know, it didn't work. So let's move away from him very quickly. And they were able to do that. Let's go all in on this Deshaun Watson guy. Go in. You know, so as an organization, look, not everything works, of course, but he's committed to winning, and now you have a quarterback here. Now you have some good well, things going on. Let's Even not, co- let's not give this short shrift either. What? It's not easy to go to the team's owner and say, listen, we got to trade this guy that we've got all this money invested in, yep. and we're going to have to give away a second-round pick as yep. well, okay, to get rid of them. But mm-hmm. uh, can we do it? Yes. Okay, um, now the draft has come around. We're picking uh, in the twenties. You mind if we move up to twelve? Is give that up okay? a first round? We're going to give up our our first rounder next year too, so we're yeah. not going to have a, a pick in the first two rounds. Mm-hmm. You okay with that? I mean, that's not easy to do. It was a mistake, yes. The the, the first two actions, yeah. But it's not easy to, to correct I think that, that mistake. Was a, that gotta, was an easier sell because he knew they needed a quarterback. Yeah, you're right. And then it goes back to the what's you know can't go wrong doing right. And, and who who was built? You know, Charlie Casserly just said. I mean, he he gave a lot of positive accolades to Bill O'Brien when he visited with us last hour. And here's the other thing. When they moved on from Gary Kubiak after 2013, who was the top coach on the market? Bill Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien was the number one candidate on the market, and they go out and get him. So, you know, clearly that's what Mr. McNair is about. Let's do things the right way. Let's do things big. Uh, But, again, the right way, the right people, people who fit in 
and who want to do great things for Houston, for the community, and want to win championships. Yeah, no doubt. And I, I think what gets, you know, people are like, well, you haven't won a championship. Well, how many teams have won a championship since 2002? Look, it's that. It's it, not the, it's, it, people make that out to be the easiest thing in the world. Well, hey, I'm Madden. I just go into career mode and I can win the championship. This ain't, this isn't Madden. This isn't right. Madden. This is not the way this thing works. Right. But, as I as I watch this team being constructed, and I think about this this organization, yeah, we all want a championship. Trust me, hell, we all want to just go to the AFC Championship game. You know, just get then yep. do something that this organization has never done. But when we do, and that will happen, and when we do go to a Super Bowl, Bob McNair will be on everybody's mind because he's the one who set the foundation for this. He's yep. the one that allowed the city of Houston on Monday night to come to a Monday night football game to experience those things that as kids we saw growing up when over in the Astrodome they're shaped, you know, shaking all those, you know, blue pom poms and you're like, whoa, I want to experience that. Well, we're able to experience that because Bob McNair did that for the city of Houston. He brought the Texans back here and a championship will be won here. It will be won here. And it will not be forgotten what he was able to do from a football standpoint, from a person, from a personal standpoint for everybody that he's ever come in contact with and just for the city of Houston. I love reading the tributes and, and even from people like you know, prolific tweeters like Lamont. Bob McNair helped minorities in the hood and put his money behind it. My little cousins in South Park are in multiple programs at the Texans Boys and Girls Club. Boys and Girls Clubs, huge, yep. huge. Benefactors of the Houston Texans, big supporters the Texans are of the Boys and Girls Club. It's just a tremendous organization, and all over the city the Texans helping Boys and Girls Clubs. Larry and Stafford paying tribute to Bob McNair. I mean, just one after another. I love the guys in the media saying, hey, <laughs> without professional football, I might sure. not have a job here. Yeah, so yeah I, said that, I said that earlier about me. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, I mean, I always wanted to be in the media, but I'm like, you know, I'm, you know, how am I going to get in this thing? And then when the Texans, it just blossomed. Like I said earlier, you can have one sports station talking about baseball and basketball. You can have one sports station. You can do that. But you bring in football into this or into this city, it's going to blow up. And it really did. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. People that <laughs> media people that have jobs. Yep. There are a lot of you that have jobs because of that, man. Now, you want to see more about Mr. McNair, you go to HoustonTexans.com or follow us on the social media channels at Houston Texans on Twitter, for instance. And we've got a tremendous video that was put together by NFL Films on the life of Bob McNair. It is just fantastic on everything that he's accomplished and on the football field and beyond. We also posted our video of... Bob McNair and several of the players from the Carolinas as they go back to the church that was uh, uh, victimized. I mean, yeah. the, the shooting that took place there so horrendous in the last couple of years and that tremendous story of parishioners actually forgiving the shooter. And it, it's just so moving. And Bob McNair and several Texans players, including Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins and Genevion Clowney, Jonathan Joseph, they went there, and, and we've got that video up as well. So a bunch of stuff on the life of Bob McNair. And you know we're going to be adding to it. We just got the news late today on the passing of Bob McNair. Final thoughts. Yeah, and we'll have something on ABC 13, KTRK, tomorrow night, yep. 6.30, as well as 11. Mm-hmm. It's going to be in place of Texans Extra Points, in place of Texans Buzz, but both those shows are going to be devoted to the memory of Bob McNair. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing I would say is you guys are like family to me, and I don't have y'all if it wasn't for him. And I probably speak for everybody in this building. So from that standpoint, we just say uh, thanks and 
Uh, thank you and much love because without him, there's so much this city doesn't have. Yep. There's so much that we don't have because that's, of him. That's so. That's very sweet, Johnny. It's very true. You know, I don't. I don't have the relationship I have with you guys and the relationship I have with everybody in this building. And and you know, I know that everybody's got their own way of of consuming the Houston Texans, whether it's on television, radio, whether you read about them every day or listen to us every day or whatever it is. But we all have Mr. McNair to thank for bringing this to this city, this entity called the Houston Texans, in addition to everything else that we discussed that he's been able to contribute to the lives of Houstonians and the lives of those beyond. And we said it a few times, but let's say it again. Our condolences go out to, hey, the love of his life, Janice. She's sad. She's lost her sweetheart. I mean, Uh, my goodness. Yeah, and Uh, his children, they've lost their father, grandchildren. He's Mm -hmm. he's even got a great-grandchild as well. So, you know, they're all sad tonight. A life well lived, and uh, he's thankfully he's no longer suffering. So. Well, yes, absolutely, and we know he's looking down on the Houston Texans, and and hopefully they get the championship sooner rather than later, and many more after the first one. Well, we thank you all for listening to us tonight, going live with the tribute that we've been able to put together on short notice for Bob McNair. It'll be up on HoustonTexans.com as a podcast as you'll hear from John McClain and Charlie Casually and, and all the tributes that we relayed to you through social media from so many, including President George H.W. Bush. Thank you so much for listening. God bless the McNair family. God bless you, Bob McNair. Have a great evening, and go Texans. Have a great evening, and go Texans. Have a great